All right. Well, hey, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you. Happy February for those of you who are listening and or if you're catching up like months later. Hey, start listening closer to the date, y'all. I'm just telling you. No, I'm just kidding. Some of you like to binge listen, and we're okay with that. To that point, here's where we're going this week. Later on for our inbox, we have a girl who found out that her boyfriend just recently had a conversation with her dad about possibly proposing to her, but she is a little bit nervous because she's not in the best place financially and isn't sure if she should be moving towards marriage at this point. So one of our counselors is going to offer some guidance on that. And then for our culture segment, Nick and Chelsea Hurst are known for their popular YouTube channel, and they have a brand new book out called Marriage Minded Young Adults. They are young adults who are married, and they're going to tell some of their own story and offer insights for you on finding a potential spouse, what it looks like to be encouraged in that sphere. All right, here we are for our roundtable. And we thought, you know, this would be a great opportunity. I always love it in a new year to talk about new things and about growth. And so uh, this week, we're going to talk about growing in your walk with God and what that looks like both personally, like what you're doing on your own, and then how you do it in community as well, because I think there are different benefits uh, from both of those things. So we have got Austin, Kristen, and John here. Hey, y'all. Hello. Hey, Lisa. Hello, hello. Okay, so we are assuming that because you are contributing to this roundtable that you are growing your walk with God, or at least you're trying. I mean, I'm going to not make any personal judgments here, but we'll see how you do. Okay. No, no, this is good. Um, this will be a lot of a lot of fun. And so let's talk about, I mean, I know that on a new year, a lot of people are like, okay, now I'm going to do the Bible in a year, or I'm going to start this new plan, or I'm going to join this Bible study, or I'm going to do, and sometimes it can feel a little overwhelming and you can be like, you know, it, it's like Instagram, you know, it's the comparison trend of like, am I as spiritual as this person over here in my small group? And so let's just start out by by talking about what are just some ways that you actually enjoy spending time with God? What does it look like for you? What works? What, you know, you can even say what doesn't work in this sphere. I feel like it's only been in the last 10 years, sadly, that I feel like I've really gotten into a groove of what I really found was my sweet spot. So how about y'all? Mm-hmm. I really enjoy connecting with God really through reading the Bible mm-hmm. is a big one. And something I started doing around 2015 was actually taking notes mm. because that really kind of helped me digest what am I actually reading? How can God possibly be using this to speak to me right now? And then sometimes if I need to go back and look at how did I get something out of that passage, it's a great way to remember mm-hmm. and be a memory jogger. So Um, being a note taker personality, I love reading the Bible and taking notes as a way to spend time with God. Cool. Yeah. Kind of building off of that. I have a, I have found that it's really helpful for me to use a prayer journal. So I'll be taking notes in my Bible about what is this passage saying? What's the flow of thought? What what do these words mean? If I don't know, I'll look it up in a dictionary or something like that. And then I use my prayer journal to help focus all the rest of my thoughts. Because if I don't do that, if I don't write down like what I'm thinking or what I'm praying to the Lord as I'm reading, Mm. my mind just wanders like crazy. So it really helps to ground me in that I'm, I'm really having a conversation with the Lord right now and I'm really gleaning from his word. And yeah, so that's been a, a really helpful tool for me. Well, another thing just as a concept is, uh, creativity and flexibility in my time personally with the Lord. Uh, creativity is in like God is, he is the creator. So it's part of his character that, I mean, we can change it up how we walk with him. So if, if one morning I'm, I feel so stuck in my room by just reading my Bible, then maybe go for a walk in the snow if it's a snowy day or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then also flexibility is if I sleep in too long and miss my mor- my morning session that I that I had scheduled out, then it's totally okay if I do it before I go to bed or things, something like that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, to have that freedom and not say like it's about a certain format or a certain timing or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's good. How about you, Kristen? Hmm. I really like the question because it's how do you enjoy spending time with God, which I think is a new concept for me because I've always wanted to be really disciplined in my relationship with the Lord. So some things I've... 
allowed myself to really enjoy are being a total nerd about the Bible. And so finding what do the words mean in the original language and what are the repeating words and themes and passages and how do they connect to other passages in scripture. So um, you can tell if I've been studying a book of the Bible or if I have been consistent in reading because there will just be notes everywhere <laughs> in my Bible. So that's been really fun to me for me. And I do want to work on my discipline, you know, going through reading plans. Um, but sometimes I go on such bunny trails while I'm reading. I'm like, oh, I've spent, you know, 25 minutes on seven verses and I don't have time to read the other five chapters if I'm going to be like this all day. But that kind of goes back to Austin's point on flexibility that, well, I still spent 20 minutes with the Lord, like really diving into what his word says and trying to understand it. And that is still that still delights him. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I think, you know, when you were talking about systematically and stuff, mm -hmm. I, um, I'm i the person who doesn't like for me, it's all about having homework. And I know I've said mm -hmm. this on the show before is like, you know, so for me being in a and we'll talk about this in the community angle, being in a small group, a Bible study where I know that I'm going to meet weekly with people and we're going to be sharing our thoughts on certain stuff that we've answered or we're going to be sharing what God um, said to us or what we learned or what this means contextually or whatever. That is very important to me because sometimes if I feel like I'm just off on my own, like, oh, you know, whatever, then it's like, it's very easy to get into all kinds of random personal interpretations. Mm -hmm. Now, what I am not, and Kristen was alluding to this, so uh, she and I differ here. <laughs> I have tried studies with, a, you know, I know Kay Arthur is really big on this, all the like colored pencils and you're mm -hmm. like highlighting certain things. And I'm like, hard pass. I <laughs> like that to me reminds me of like my econ class in college <laughs> where it was just like charts and graphs and whatever. And I'm like, oh, my word, no. Now, if someone guides me through that and I do it, that's a lot better experience for me. But for me to just be like hardcore, like research background, I'm probably never going to take Hebrew or Greek for that reason. But if someone shows me like, here's where this word shows up in the Greek and how it parallels to that, I'm all over it. So, mm -hmm. all right. But that's just showing my hand on that, you guys. So you don't have to be a total seminary professor to understand <laughs> and enjoy the word of God because I am not. Okay. So anyway, all that to say. Um, so talking a little bit more um, about that, what would you say, I mean, do you find that as you say you want to spend time with God and you look for measurable growth, do you find that you have distractions in that area or what, what would you say kind of brings you back to something that's successful where you can say, you know, six months from now, you know, we're going to be in the middle of the year and you're going to be sharing, like, I'll probably have to just pull all you back and be like, okay, <laughs> how did this work for you? What did you learn? What will it look like for you to have felt that you moved the needle kind of in this uh, maturity of what you're going after and studying and spending that time with God? What a great question. I think that a big thing is having community in my life who can honestly look at me and say that they see growth. Mm -hmm. So I'm very blessed to have a great church that I attend here locally. And um, sometimes just getting feedback from people is tremendous because I have found many times in my walk with God when I feel like I'm in a season of growth, I honestly can't even really tell that it's happening because mm -hmm. I feel like I'm feeling the pressure mm -hmm. of being mm -hmm. pushed way outside my comfort zone. But mm -hmm. to have friends and mentors who can say, hey, I see that you are making progress mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. um, I'm thinking of a conversation that I had a few months back where I was um, given a privilege a couple years ago to lead our welcome team. And I remember I was having a conversation with the person who appointed me to the leadership and I referred to it as my team, me mm -hmm. and my team. And he's like, whoa, you just said something I've never heard you say. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> you didn't used to take ownership like that. And so um, because when I first started, I was so outside my comfort zone, but he pointed that out and that was really encouraging. So that's why I honestly think we need a sounding board of community to be able to say, yeah, you actually are making progress. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. On a similar note, something I've been praying about recently, because I've gotten really plugged into my church and I want to um, have better and deeper relationships, is for somebody who will disciple me one-on-one -on -one, um, and be a mentor in my life. And I want to do that as well for one of the girls in youth. So I think that's going to be kind of a way that I'll measure my growth by if those have happened, um, because I think those are really practical ways for me to apply some of the things that I'm learning, whether it's passing on. Um, things that I have learned in my time with the Lord, or if it is learning from others who have walked a lot more and longer than I have. 
I love those. I especially love your point, John, about a sounding board of community and them speaking into your life of objectively what what do they see and how have they seen you in the past couple of months. I'd really only add to those things that just for us, time in the word is the goal is relationship mm-hmm. with God. Mm-hmm. Like it's to abide in him and to uh, mm-hmm. Jesus said in John 15 to abide in me, abide in my word, abide in my love. And so I would really hesitate to put a a measurement, a KPI, so to speak, <laughs> of, of I read th- this many books of the Bible in the past six months uh, because the, the Lord can really use just singular verses of just real richness that takes months to really unpack. Mm-hmm. So I, I would just add the the subjective element of Wow. In the past six months, I can see the fruit in my life. I can see how much Mm -hmm. more I enjoy being with God. I can see how much more I think about his glory. Mm -hmm. I I used to six months beforehand, I would think be in the same situation. Say I'm walking into church and I would be thinking just about myself and what I need. And there are seasons for that. Mm -hmm. But maybe six months from now, I'm looking at other people and I know exactly what's going on in their lives and I'm reaching Mm -hmm. out in love towards them. Uh, so I would say just looking at the fruit that comes out of abiding with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. So um, it's interesting because I would like to kind of talk a little bit about the role of community, because I think we too often in the church talk about a relationship with God as being a personal thing. And it is a personal thing. I love it. I heard it said once, you know, when people talk about a personal relationship with God and someone said, yeah, it's personal, but it's not private. And yeah. so um, we so are good. meant to live in community and to walk that out. One, because it's a lot easier to fool ourselves if we're just hanging out by ourselves. Because I will tell you, I've said this many times on the show, I am amazing when I'm by myself. I I get along with me. I feel like um, I, I do exactly what I want, which Sorry is great. I agree with myself. Um, so it is great. And it's like when you get into community, even with other believers, is when dumpster fires can come out. And it's like, you know, if you get along with everyone in your church, uh, you need to get more involved in your church, okay? (laughs) So... um, so that's kind of just a little exhortation on that front. So let's talk about the value of community. Um, and I will say, you know, because I alluded to this before, that for me, being in a group study is so important because as I'm learning throughout the week, I love, I really look forward to my study time when I can bounce what I've learned off with other people and be mm-hmm. like, okay, well, here's how I was processing this. How about you? Or here's something I'm struggling with, or I don't even understand this, or how are we supposed to do this in this day and age? And I just find it so encouraging when others can kind of weigh in on that um, and can kind of be like, I mean, there are times when I'm like, yeah, I'm not too great at this. And then these precious people are like, yeah, you're not. And so, (laughs) and I'm like, that's kind of rude. Okay, whatever. But it's so true. So um, how about you all? What does community look like for you as you're processing your personal time with God and then walking Mm -hmm. it out? It's so important. And kind of to Austin's point about it's our, our walk and our faith is not always measurable. I think that with my church that I've joined, which is super important. So everybody should join a church. Mm -hmm. It's a command. Um, But I've been able to experience God in ways I hadn't before in the past. One of my prayers all throughout college was just for multi-generational community and discipleship and fellowship. And the Lord has totally answered that prayer with my church. And since I've been there, I have been so blessed to be on the receiving end of so much generosity and hospitality and sharing, um, seeing it lived out that no one should consider anything as their own. Um, And it's been incredible. Yeah, it's so good that you mention Kristen, multi-generational, because um, that is important to go after. And you had even said it in your previous response about looking for someone who's a few steps ahead of you Mm -hmm. and then looking back behind you and saying, well, who can I pour into? That's a great way to do community. And, um, And then you have to refresh those 
pools of people sometimes because I, for example, I've mentioned her um, on this show before. My precious neighbor, Beanie, uh, 97 years old, actually went to be with Jesus on mm-hmm. Christmas Day. And so oh, I get so choked up. I'm actually, after this taping, I'm going to her memorial. And so it's such a great story to be able to realize, like, my goodness, what, you know, all the stuff that I learned from her in the five years that I knew her and the ways that she poured into me. Mm-hmm. And so... I need to find my next beanie, but I also need to be looking up behind me and say, you know, who am I going to pour into in a way that beanie was to me? So, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's great. Mm -hmm. That's that's yeah. Wow. I think those testimonies of how people display Christ to us, Mm -hmm. I think of. In First Corinthians twelve, talks about how we're we're all part of the body. You can't be an eye and say to the hand, "I don't have, I don't, I don't need you." Mm-hmm. you know, and so, uh, when we isolate ourselves from community in our relationships with God, that's really what we're doing. Mm-hmm. But then also, we're missing out on so much. Uh, Galatians, Paul says in Galatians two, twenty. This is a super popular verse. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so when we're in community, we are getting different aspects of Christ yeah. that have been revealed to to our, our friends and, and our family and our church body that we may not get. Mm-hmm. So I may be really in touch and receive just a lot about, say, the tenderness of, of God, <laughs> mm-hmm. whereas in community, I could see a little bit more of his, of his justice and, and things like that. But I've seen this play out so beautifully where... Um, I was in one of the most, I think the most intense period of suffering in my life, just so much like going on, like breakup and family things and all these things. And then I had a friend, uh, call me uh, on the phone and we were talking and, and at one point she said, I feel your pain right now. And it was in, in that moment, I realized wow, it was totally a God moment. I realized, wow, Christ is living in her and he feels my pain right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's such a blessing that community can be. We Not only are we individual parts of the body of Christ, but we can be the image of Christ to each other. Mm-hmm. If you're not in community, you're you're missing out on parts of who God is. Mm-hmm. For sure. That's so good. And following up on what you guys have all shared, I find that community really kind of helps me remember that the gospel is still changing people's lives. Mm. Um, I think most of the time when we read the news and we hear about people in Christian circles, very sadly, what we learn about is the person who's deconstructed from their faith or the person who's no longer going to church or says they're no longer a Christian. Mm-hmm. And I find when I'm alone that many times that can be so heavy to try to bear. But community always reminds me that, hey, Jesus is changing people's lives. Mm -hmm. And like you said, Austin can be a huge encouragement to us. Um, I experienced something incredible over Christmas break, and I got to meet one of my brother's co-workers. His name is Aaron. And Man, this guy is just so on fire for Jesus, and he has one of the most moving testimonies I've ever heard. He um, comes from a background of severe drug addiction, and Jesus has restored him over the past year. And when I met him for the first time, I just saw such a childlike faith in his eyes, and it moved me so deeply. Mm -hmm. And what was cool, I never even told him that I work at Focus on the Family, but I remember he looked at me, and my dad and brother can testify Mm -hmm. that this happened. He looked at me, and he goes, now, I don't know what you do, but just remember, whatever God has given you to do as a task, remember it's for somebody else. (laughs) (laughs) And that just cut me so deeply to think that, hey, I get the privilege of producing the Boundless Podcast and these other shows at Focus, but I have to remember exactly what he said. Mm -hmm. And just uh, that's what the purpose of community is for, is Mm -hmm. just to remind us that, hey, Jesus really is changing lives, even when we don't hear about it in the news. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that reminds me of kind of two things I think of with that. One, I remember it was a couple years ago, I think as one of my New Year's goals, I had to, or I had put down, like, talk to a new believer, like, at least quarterly, I think it was. It was like find someone like every three or four months that 
I can just hear their story because it is so encouraging to get out of the rut of the same old, same old. And it can feel like, oh, well, I've been walking with the Lord for a long time and blah, blah, blah. But to kind of get ears on a person who's brand new in that journey is just a real shot in the arm um, for that. Such a cool such a cool thing and a cool opportunity. The other thing I thought of in light of that is a great question just to ask people. And again, not like a stranger on the street, but I feel like too rarely do we just kind of say to one another, like, what God, what has God been doing in your life lately? Mm-hmm. And just allow people to share, you know, and kind of get beyond the whole like, oh, yeah, you know, what's your next vacation or blah, blah, blah. Um, but to really go deeper is a great opportunity. Um, okay, so it, kind of in our last couple of minutes here, I want to ask you guys, I think a lot of us can um, misapply or we can, you know, erroneously think that doing a lot of stuff at church or being involved in ministries or reading a lot of books or knowing a lot of stuff is the same as knowing God. And I'm just going to start off by saying that is not true, <laughs> lest anyone think that is the case. So how do you guys avoid that trap of maybe just, you know, being busy or doing things for God or being with other people? Um, and I'm going to kind of, well, actually, I want to get your opinions on it first, and then I'm going to share a couple of things that I uh, think about that. But how, how do you guys avoid that trap? Something that helps me tremendously is honestly just listening to worship music mm-hmm. and taking time to pause and not do something for a few minutes. Because mm-hmm. I, I tend to be pretty task-oriented yeah. in my life and in my lifestyle. I love getting things done, but there has to be that time where I just sit down and realize that, hey, at the end of the day, the most important thing is to worship Jesus and to know him. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's amazing what God can do in those times when you're just sitting there trying to be with him mm-hmm. and letting him speak to you. I saw this really in my brother's life. Following up on Aaron's story, one of the things that actually really helped him is my brother was taking time to listen to the Lord and really felt impressed to take him to church. Mm-hmm. And now I see that my brother in his own time with when his, in his walk with God was listening to the Holy Spirit and um, to see the fruit that's come out of Aaron's life because of that is just a tremendous blessing to see that, hey, our time with God really does benefit other people when we sit mm-hmm. down and listen to him. Mm-hmm. That's good. I think it's a rut I have a hard time getting out of. I love the local church so much, and I love serving her. And so sometimes I can just get really, really busy with that. So I have to ask myself, okay, God says in the Psalms that there are at his right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And do I believe that? Mm -hmm. And do I believe that I can fellowship with him when I'm alone? And so, like, do I treasure Christ And do I treasure the spirit and do I treasure the father even when I'm alone and when I'm not in community and that and community is a tremendous blessing and a tremendous resource. Um, but it should not be the bedrock of my faith. Christ should be. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that's something that I actually struggle with a lot. And even as I've been praying about having someone disciple me and me pour into somebody else, like, okay, well, how frequently does that need to happen? What does that need to look like? Because if I'm being honest, if I get both of those things in my schedule weekly, then I'm going to not be resting very much. And I've been learning a lot about the importance of rest. So it's been a really interesting yeah. dynamic recently for me, I guess. Sure. Man, I'm actually doing a internship with my church right now for kind of getting behind the scenes of what, is, what does it look like to be a pastor. Mm. So I, t- as the church intern, I totally get <laughs> the, uh, the life of, of all doing all these things mm-hmm. like for the church or with God or all these things. And honestly, it's, it's the truth of the gospel that, that brings me back. That is, mm-hmm. it's by grace that you've been saved, not by works so that no one can boast. It's nothing that I've done and nothing that I keep doing that keeps me in fellowship like with Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, a friend told me, I don't know where he heard it, but he told me a little bit ago, the gospel is rest. And if you read mm-hmm. through the book of Hebrews, it's so, so clear that mm-hmm. we're like Jesus by his death and resurrection has done all the work on the altar, has brought us into the rest of, of God. And we, mm-hmm. so like, let's go into that rest. So for me, it's helpful to recognize, just remember if I'm caught up in some sort of 
really stressful working. I think some of the Psalms call it like anxious toil. Mm -hmm. Then it, I can bring myself back and remember, Oh wait, like I was weak. I was, I was totally a sinner. Like I was nothing. I couldn't do anything to please God. And he, and he loved me Mm -hmm. and he poured out his love and his Holy spirit and just poured it into my heart. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's my starting point. Yeah. I'm a, such a people pleaser. And, um, and so I can really tend to think, oh, if I if I do all these things, then that'll make God really happy, or mm-hmm. something like that. And mm-hmm. uh, and that's totally the opposite of the gospel. Is that He already loved me before I could do anything. Anything that I could do was yeah, like dirty rags to Him. But yeah. so another thing that helps me is just just acknowledge His presence with me as I'm going, just to walk in step with Him. That uh, He will um, He's given me the the easy yoke. Good thoughts. Yeah, to your point about anxious toil, I think it is easy to get caught up in the doing or the stuff where we have something that we can show for it. And I think for me, it's best when I recognize throughout my week, like, where do I need God to show up? And it's usually in my patterns of sin. It's in fears. It's in weirdness, like freakouts of, you know, I'm like, what is like triggering me that I'm getting all weird about this, you know, and realizing like, wow, okay, this is where God really has to show up. And it's not something that I can do or, you know, affect on my own. Um, And I was just thinking in a couple generalities, I'll say really quick here, just food for thought, because as someone who's a few steps um, ahead of all y'all listening, I feel like what I've seen historically is with men, men get into a comfort zone, a lot of really rocking out study and theology and talking about a lot of intellectual things and to choose to go um, experientially with God and let him minister to you personally and also to step into service and get outside yourself is a great challenge for men. Mm-hmm. Women, we trend towards um, equating a spiritual walk with being social with others. And so sometimes <laughs> we can just have a yak fest with women and think that we're spiritually encouraging one another and really all we're doing is yakking um, and or slash gossiping or mm-hmm. being weird with that. Or we get into um, administrative, like administrating relationships and our walk with God and thinking like, okay, well, I've only read 12 books, you know, in this month. So I need to do, you know, this, this, um, weirdness of doing in comparison trends into that too. So anyway, just a couple thoughts um, and encouragements for all y'all there. So you guys, thank you so much for weighing in on this. I really appreciate this conversation. Thank you, Lisa. Absolutely. Thanks for Quite having the us. <laughs> Fear is like a broken record, same old songs of accusation play. I could you to speak the truth. Just look at all your failures and mistakes. And if they really knew you, there's no way they could love you anyway. Oh, oh, oh but I will fight the lies with the truth. Oh, oh, keep my eyes fixed on you. I will sing the truth into the dark. I will use my Well, folks, we are here for this week's culture segment, and you know that for our cultures, we often talk to authors, um, but lots of times our authors, you know, usually they do other stuff as well, and this week is no exception. So we are talking uh, actually to Nick and Chelsea Hurst today. So hey, welcome, Nick and Chelsea. 
Hey, hey nice so to talk to, to you guys. <laughs> Great to have you. Um, and this is fun because um, many folks who are listening probably know of you because they follow you uh, between your YouTube channel. Obviously, you guys have a uh, podcast, Forever Changed. Um, you, Nick, I know are the founder of Nick Hurst Evangelistic Ministries. Chelsea, you've done so much in the realm of online communication and uh, social media, engaging with folks and encouraging folks, and really both of you using your story and what God is teaching you to help others as they walk along that journey. And so um, it is really fun for us to connect because, of course, The Boundless Show, talking almost, you know, for the most part to young adults, it's kind of like, hey, these are our peeps. And so um, it's fun to officially kind of invite you into the fold. Um, I do want to mention, we're going to talk today on a few themes from your book that actually just released. It is titled Marriage Minded, 10 Ways to Know If You Found the One. And everyone's ears just perked up because they're like, hey, I'm going to know if I found the one. <laughs> or maybe yeah. I don't I don't know how to find the one. So I'm going to start and take a paper and pencil and have them tell me. So, um, but no, it really is uh, a lot of fun and a lot of great insight within the book. And it's fun to be able to talk to you as it has just released a couple of days ago. So the first thing I want to ask, though, is a little bit of your own story, because I know that you two met on Twitter of all places, um, which is awesome. I mean, anyone, you know, I'm sure, you know, telling your grandmas and grandpas, they were probably like, oh, dear Jesus, please help them. But um, <laughs> you met on Twitter. Give us a little rundown of how that happened and what your communication looked like kind of getting your relationship off the ground. Yeah, well, it really uh, branched, I think, from Chelsea's end as far as the initiation goes. But uh you know, a long story made short, I was on my college campus in my freshman year, and uh, I was in a season of singleness, but also kind of a frustrated season. And I remember leaving the coffee shop uh, on my college campus one afternoon, headed to my next class, and I looked down on my um, Twitter app, and I noticed that this girl who was verified, was a blue check, had went and liked a bunch of my tweets. And so I remember going and checking out her profile and uh, clicking on the link in her bio and seeing her YouTube channel and watching her testimony, which I thought was really uh, insightful and really authentic. And so I remember sending her a text message and uh, just, you know, over the direct message in the app. And I just remember saying, you know, hey, uh, love what you're doing, love your channel, keep doing it for Jesus. And so we connected um, a bit more over messages and then met in Atlanta at Passion Conference with Pastor Louie and Shelley and uh, started dating soon after and, and have never stopped. Hmm. Anything to add, Chelsea? Yeah, I think he's missing a really large part. Oh. <laughs> All <laughs> um, right. One of my, as guys do, no, I'm just kidding. But seriously, I think um, one of the best moments that we can recall just from the start of our relationship was both of us not really having intentions of dating. We just knew that we were mutually interest, interested in one another. Like we, there was definitely mutual attraction. Um, but I had just gotten out of a, of a relationship, and I wanted to, you know, take some time to just heal from that. And the Lord, in the middle of the Passion City uh, Conference in in Georgia, uh, while we were worshiping, just told me. <laughs> in my heart that you're standing next to your future husband. And at the exact same time, um, the Lord told him the same thing that we would be married. Mm -hmm. And so it wasn't that like moment where someone's like, Oh, I'm going to be married to you. And the other person has no like confirmation of that whatsoever. It was the exact same time. Um, in the exact like same way that we both heard from God. And it was just really clarifying from the start for us to just have a moment, um, where we felt, like we were walking in the direction which God had laid before us and we weren't even necessarily like seeking it or looking for it. Um, and so he, mm -hmm. his hand was just on it from the very start. So yeah. we we're just really grateful and just in awe from that moment. Well, and I think that's so encouraging because there are so many folks who write into us here at Boundless and they're like, well, you know, I don't know if I should try, you know, a dating app or I don't know if I should do something online or reach out to this person, slide into their DMs because they're like, that just seems so weird. Like, is that that's not in the Bible? Like, what should I? 
What should I be doing? And so they feel like they're kind of like doing some second best or, or running around God or something to do that. But I'm always like, you know what? They're just tools. And we have tools available to us to meet one another. And you never know what God is going to use. Mm-hmm. And so um, what I love about that, though, is that also in the book, and again, we're talking about their new book, Marriage Minded, um, you're pretty open that your relationship just hasn't been a cakewalk. You know, it's not like it's a lot easier to just like people's posts on social, um, but actually doing life together can be very challenging. And so I know, um, Nick, you talk specifically about how our feelings can lie to us when we rely on our feelings. And that kind of hit home. Uh, You talk about a, a pretty bad argument you two had back in uh, February a few years ago. Um, you talk about that in the book. What what kind of went down and what when you talk about feelings and what that looks like and how we can rely on our feelings and expect things of other people? Um, kind of tell us how what you've learned on that front. Yeah, I, I think uh, I don't think that we have enough time to cover probably <laughs> all the things that God has really been showing me in that regard. But I do remember that argument very vividly and actually write about it, I think, pretty extensively in the book. But in short, Chelsea and I had gone out on a date. It was a February evening. We were both living in uh, North Georgia, up in the North Atlanta area, and uh, had a pretty good dinner for the most part. And, uh, you know, got in the car to go home, and we were just having conversation. And um, I just remember, you know, I think Chelsea said uh, something. I, I can't remember exactly what was said. Uh, but I just remember that I got really uh, offended over something that she had said, and it wasn't, you know, anything inappropriate. It was, I think, a completely normal thing that she was just really encouraging me to lean into or to press into. And I just remember getting really, really offended, thinking that, you know, I didn't need to do that, or, um, you know, that wasn't something that I felt like God had wanted me to do. And so I was just quiet for the rest of the drive home, and it was like a 20-minute drive. And uh, not a wise idea to anyone anyone who's dating. I think communication is always a, a great thing. But I just remember being so, so um, deep in thought and in my feelings and just really upset. And, you know, meanwhile, on that whole drive, you know, my head is telling me, you know, if she was really the one for you. She would never have said something like that or she would never make you feel this way. And then I just remember over the next week or so, I'm just debating and deliberating really back and forth with God and what he said about this girl and then like how I'm feeling and how offended I was in that moment. And that, you know, led to a extensive argument. And, uh, you know, I just had to come down to the truth of it that uh, sometimes when people say stuff to you uh, that may hurt your feelings, sometimes it's just really mean and ugly, but sometimes it's a gift of correction and so uh, in that moment, I just had to realize that Chelsea was actually correcting something in me that she had the complete right to speak into. And uh, me being offended was really just a, a feeling that came as a result of someone telling me I was wrong uh, and that I needed to change. And so, uh, you know, over that week, I just realized that, man, my feelings have been lying to me, telling me one thing about this girl who's actually, you know, doing me a service by pointing something out that needs to change. And then uh, rather than rather than not being the right person to marry or to be with altogether. So I think that when we lean into our feelings too much or we put too much of an emphasis on how someone makes us feel at any given moment, I think that it can really sabotage us for the future uh, and short sell us from, you know, what God really wants to do or what he wants to give us. Because, you know, as a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is not always a comforter. Most times in my life, he's a he's a convictor. There are those moments where he comforts, but, um, you know, if, if I was following Jesus just because it felt great, then I don't think that I would be a Christian or that anyone else would be a Christian for very long. So uh, that's just some of what God has been teaching me in the in the realm of, you know, trusting or leaning on your feelings and emotions for any given situation. Yeah, well, that's a good, uh, good learning in that. I also like how one of the other things you, you pull out uh, during the course of the 
of the book itself, um, and Chelsea, maybe you can speak to this, is the the idea of handling secrets and keeping secrets from one another. And, you know, it's always tricky because it's like you don't want to sit down on your first coffee date and just spill out your entire life to the other person and be like, well, here it is. Let me just write it on a napkin. And, and then you don't even know if you're going to move move forward. But it there does come a point where, you know, keeping things back from the person that you are probably very close to marrying or certainly in marriage can be problematic. And uh, uh, talk us through that, because I know you. Uh, there's a story shared about uh, Nick and just uh, being reached out to by an ex-girlfriend and kind of what that prompted. So what did that teach you in that? Yeah, I think secrets in, in the pre-marriage phase, it's such an interesting dance where, like you said, you don't want to just like word vomit everything that you've ever been through and what you're walking through currently and all of that, like right when you meet. But I think the Lord is so kind to give us such peace about another person and to lead us in our relationships to where when you sense that there's a moment to open up about maybe um, a past addiction or something current that's a struggle um, to allow the other person into that, because sometimes there can be healing um, even whenever we're allowed into that space to, to pray for one another, or it's not our necessarily like our responsibility to heal, you know, the people that we love of the things that are burdening them or hurting them, but we can be a part of that healing process if they allow us into it. And so I think um, with us and, and Secrets, we were really graced with just feeling super comfortable to allow that to come out within like the first year of us knowing each other. And I would just encourage every couple to really open up about every single little thing like that, that you think could potentially uh, distance yourself from the other person uh, if, if you don't share, because it can really lead to a greater understanding of one another. Um, you can understand why maybe they respond the way that they do in, in conversation why maybe they could get defensive in the midst of conflict. You know, if they have a past with their family and they only communicate a certain way, that could be passive or super direct. You know, there's just so many intricacies of of just really laying everything out there to where you just have this open relationship and, and you're able to, like, continually have an, an open uh, path of forgiveness, too. Uh, we talk a lot about that in the book as well. And so I just think it's just the thing that Jesus would really desire for our relationships because he modeled it so well and he encouraged us to do that. And we've seen nothing but just incredible fruit in our relationship whenever, you know, we go through something and we immediately share it. Or if it's not immediate, it's it's pretty close to immediate. Um, just letting each other in and bearing each other's burdens together so that neither of us are feeling heavy. Uh, we're just always feeling light. So I just think it's always worth it, 100% worth it to to let each other in on those things. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. And I, it's why I often here on The Boundless Show tell our listeners to also invite other people into community with you. Um, and again, in an appropriate yeah. level, because I think a lot of couples, they'll, they'll go the opposite direction. And all of a sudden, it's like they shut out the world around them, stare into each other's eyes, and they're all about sharing secrets, but only with each other. And it's kind of like, like sometimes you need mm. some objective eyes on a situation mm -hmm. or you need to get additional input, especially uh, younger, you know, earlier on in marriage when maybe there are varying opinions and, and both parties are still settling into what does this look like for us as a couple. Yeah. Um, and that is good because like, you know, Nick, in your example, you know, that was just kind of your past reaching out to you. And it's not even like it was something ultimately too weird or nefarious. But I know you mentioned in the book, you know, it became problematic because at first you thought, oh, no big deal. I don't have to share this with Chelsea. And then it was like, okay, well, that could become a big deal, I guess, down the road. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of us, we have things in our lives where, you know, we just view it as, oh, it's no big deal. Uh, you know, oh, it'll sort itself out. Or, you know, oh, a few weeks will go by and, you know, no one will think anything of it. And really, it's, it's that sort of stuff that comes back to, to get you uh, later on down the road. And so I think that the more open, the more honest and transparent you can be, um, from the beginning is, is, you know, definitely always the wisest move. 
And, uh, you know, I, I understand. I can completely relate to the struggle of, uh, I, I would say, just being uncomfortable in those moments. It's like, man, I, you know, have known this person for maybe not a very long time, and I'm about to share something really personal. Like, I can remember all the anxiety around that. I think every married person uh, can. But I'm telling you, on the other side of it, it is it is absolutely worth it. It leads to greater uh, trust. It leads to greater connection. And I think an overall healthier culture um, for the relationship to truly thrive in for future situations like that, where uh, maybe it's not that particular situation, but a different one. And that muscle has already been worked of, of bringing it to the other person and trusting them enough to let them in and invite them in on whatever it is. Yeah. Well, one of the things I definitely want to make sure we we get to um, that's mentioned in the course of your book, and I think is so foundational to what we've already talked about, and that is the importance of being, in fact, in fact, I think it's the final question you address in the book, um, is the concept of being spiritually matched. So um, one of you share what you mean by that. What does it mean to be spiritually matched? And since you've been married, what have you found to be some of the, the pretty core things that you're very grateful you are matched on and you know when the rubber hits the road what is it that has really mattered in walking out your relationship together Mm, that's good well i wrote that whole chapter so i'm gonna tee up (laughs) chelsea okay and uh I'm, i'm gonna get her take on it yeah i would say uh just the core things as far as being spiritually matched that we're so grateful for that we kind of laid out even in our premarital uh counseling I remember we sat down with a, a couple that was a in their late 40s, early 50s, I believe, and they just invited us into their home and, and walked us through uh, every single aspect of, like, the hard conversations and the hard um, aspects of relationships that inevitably come up. And one of the weeks was talking about, like, you know, a lot of people call themselves Christians, but what actual foundation are those people standing on? Like, what what is your foundation? And we know that together we both equally believe that Christ is our firm foundation, that He has redeemed us, set us free, that we have the Holy Spirit as our helper and our guide in our relationship and individually, um, and that He's going to be with us, He's going to convict us, He's going to comfort us, He's going to do all that He says He's going to do, um, and that we get to do that together. And so I would say that's what spiritually matched for us looks like. And people shouldn't just take one another's word for it. They should have conversations about their relationship with Jesus openly all the time, you know, because that is what a marriage is. It's Christ. One of the ways that he shows his relationship to the church, it's not the only way, but it is one of the ways and it's beautiful. Um, And then I would say in marriage, uh, the way that it's really played out of why we're so grateful that we have this firm foundation is uh, there's, you know, been times where we've gone through really, really hard stuff and we've questioned, you know, is this the world falling apart or do we just keep going through like sickness and a family death and, and just like one thing after another. And it's easy to look up and say, God, like, why? You know, does it seem like there's just one thing after another? But we we lean back on the promise that he has given us that, you know, our hope is firm. He is steady. His character doesn't change, even though everything else around us seems to be. That's where we've always just found so much hope and joy is that, like, just because there's so much circumstances that seem hard doesn't mean that we have a God that changes. And if anything, I feel like us coming to the end of ourselves allows him to show us so much more of what he offers us in relationship to him and in our marriage. And so it's been really beautiful and something I'm so grateful for. And I wish every single married uh, couple had is just Christ as their foundation because it's everything. Yeah, that's good. Um, I'm wondering, Nick, if maybe you could add, because kind of a question I know that comes up uh, very often around here is as we're navigating the culture and understanding that, okay, even as believers, we're all sinners and we're all going to fail one another and disappoint one another, whether in marriage or uh, in dating or even in our friendships. So how do how do you distinguish between um, when you're looking for a mate or when you're dating just that person who, yeah, they're imperfect. They're a work in progress. They're a they're a sinner. They're going to fail. 
and someone who straight up is a hot mess and a red flag and you need to walk away from. Because I think sometimes we make concessions and we're like, well, we're all imperfect. But yet then all of a sudden we find ourselves in a relationship with an abuser or a you know manipulator or a person who is just not uh, following after Christ. So what are some good, you know, any tips for finding and distinguishing the difference? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. And I, honestly, I think it stems back to identity. Honestly, I know that's the hot button and the hot word of, of culture right now is <clears throat> what is your identity? How do you identify? But honestly, uh, you know, I really believe this. I preached a message about this uh, a few months ago, and, you know, I, I just believe it in my guts. I believe that if you're a Christian or if you're listening to this right now and you would call yourself a Christian— but you would simultaneously call yourself a sinner, I think that there's a disconnect there. I really do. Not one time in the New Testament does Paul write to anyone uh, and call them— not one time does Paul write to any church and call them uh, sinners of that church. What does he always call them? He calls them saints. And so there's been an identity shift whenever you have become a believer in Jesus, whenever you have been, like Jesus speaks about in John chapter 3, whenever you have been born again, whenever you have been— uh, born into the Spirit, not into the flesh, which you were born into sin, but you were born into the Spirit, which now makes you a saint and a child of God. So whenever someone completely understands, whenever they have grasped and tasted um, what it means to be saved, what it means to know Jesus, I just believe with every fiber of my being that um, life should look differently on the other side of making the decision to trust Christ. And so if you're with someone or if you're prospect of dating someone um, who would call themselves a Christian, but they look just like the world, and they're going out and doing the same stuff that the world is doing, they're going out and shacking up with people, they're going out and um, getting drunk at parties all the time, or, they're going, or they can't seem to find victory in any area of their life, or you know nothing looks different on the other side of following Jesus, then I would say that something is, there's a disconnect somewhere in that. And it's not that those people are bad people or that we judge them or that we don't like them. I believe that we're to love those people with the same love that Christ loved all sinners with. But to understand that you're connecting your life to someone in the matrimony of marriage means something else entirely. And it is a, it is a much bigger decision than who you're friends with or who you spend your weekends with or anything like that. Uh, it is truly one of the, the decisions that we need to lean into with a lot of thought, with a lot of prayer, and honestly observe someone's life and see if Jesus is actually reflecting his character through that person. And I think that if the Holy Spirit is within you, you will be able to discern with all clarity and with all truth if someone is truly walking in the holiness of God or if they are uh, just saying one thing and yet doing another. So honestly, to me, that's the biggest red flag. There's many more that we could go through if we had the time. But I would just, I would encourage you to observe someone's life from afar, ask good questions, uh, get detailed, and and uh, I believe that God will reveal himself and what is right and what is the right road for you to take in due time. Hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for, yeah, for sharing that. That's good thoughts. Good thoughts. Um, well, folks, uh, we are, the our time always goes by so fast. Um, we want to make sure that you know about the book. The book is Marriage Minded, 10 Ways to Know If You Found the One. We've been talking with Nick and Chelsea Hurst, and we here at Boundless want to make a copy of their book available to you for a gift of any amount to Boundless. And so we're in a new year here. Um, you know, you can go to boundless.org. You can search for 783. That's this week's episode. And in doing that, you'll see a copy of the book cover. Just click on it. You give a gift of whatever you can afford to Boundless, and we're going to send a copy of Marriage Minded as our thank you to you. So you can go ahead and do that even now. Nick and Chelsea, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for being part of the Boundless show. And uh, just so great to be able to uh, learn from you and be able to have you share some of your story as an encouragement to everyone listening. So thanks again. Thank you, Lisa. It's a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, thanks, guys. We really, really enjoyed our time. We buried dreams, laid them deep into the earth behind us, said our goodbyes at the grave, but everything reminds us. God knows we ache when he asks us to go on. How do we? Go on. 
All right, folks. Well, as we finish out the show, we're opening up our inbox, uh, first one of February at this point, and we have brought in one of our fantastic counselors, Joni DeBrito. Hey, Joni. Hi. Thanks Always for having me. Good to have you. <laughs> so, um, well, this is an interesting kind of pre-married one mm -hmm. uh, dating question, so I'm going to go ahead and read it and let you take a stab at it. Okay. Um, our listener says... My boyfriend, whom I've been dating for a year, recently came to visit my family, and during his visit, he had lunch with my dad and told him he plans to propose to me in the next year. I don't think my dad was expecting this, since he and my mom dated for 10 years, which I will not be doing. I'm struggling with how to discuss this with my parents, especially since I don't really talk to them about stuff like this. I'm still partly depending on my parents for funding, and am about to go to med school. My boyfriend works a full-time job. I'm wrestling with balancing our current financial state with our desire to get married sooner rather than later. Any advice would be appreciated. Well, this is a really interesting two-part question, Lisa. And what's interesting is that the answer to both parts has to do with boundaries. So when you become an adult, and actually when you're younger, you're responsible for your thoughts and beliefs and actions and behaviors and decisions and so forth. And so really this decision rests squarely with her and her boyfriend. It's not her parents' decision as to when she gets married. However, of course, we want her to have the kind of relationship with her dad that she's able to talk with him, he's able to express his concerns, and she will respectfully listen to what he has to say and consider whether or not those concerns are valid. But ultimately, she and her boyfriend perhaps future fiancé need to make that decision. So the boundary there is that it's their decision and it shouldn't be within the purview of the parents or one parent to control that decision. So that's the first part of the question. The next part of the question is the financial piece. So Typically, we advise that if people are going to get married, that they be financially independent from their parents for a variety of really good reasons. And so I'm going to talk about those reasons, but also talk about some of the fallout if that doesn't happen. So there are a couple of choices here for this woman and her boyfriend, one being that they would wait until they're financially secure to be able to support themselves. The second being that maybe they could make some lifestyle changes that would allow them to to be financially independent. Maybe they're living in a home or an apartment that's more expensive than they need. Maybe they have um, other memberships or things they can drop in order to be able to be financially independent. So those are a couple of thoughts for them. The other thought, though, does take into account the fact that there are some really legitimate reasons that there are some young married folks who are still having to get help from their parents uh, much related to what's gone on recently, the pandemic, people losing jobs, people losing housing, that kind of thing. So understandably, there have been some young married or people of married age who are thinking about getting married that had to be more dependent on their parents. But the caution here would be to be thinking about those boundaries again, because if parents support you, they legitimately have some reasons to be concerned about how you manage your money, because if you're not managing your money well, then you're cutting into the investment they're making into your lives. So that can get sticky mm -hmm. as you start to think about that, because they may start to want to control the decisions you make in your life because they're giving you money. Mm -hmm. And then the other side of that is sometimes it gets sticky because sometimes young people want to have their cake and eat it too. Mm -hmm. They want to get the money, mm -hmm. but they don't want to have to be accountable to anyone for how mm -hmm. they spend it. And parents and, and young people and their children often have very different opinions about how money should be spent. So I would really encourage this young woman to think about the boundaries around the decision and the boundaries around the finances. And if she decides to, with her husband, be partially dependent on her parents for any financial support, to be aware of the potential consequences and be willing to take those consequences, good or bad. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, such uh, such good advice. And also thinking through, it was kind of like my first reading of it. I thought to myself, well, it might be helpful to get some objective eyes on your situation, maybe someone from your church, um, especially another couple that navigated med school, for example, on mm-hmm. one income, because your boyfriend has a full-time job. That's good news. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's a lot better scenario than right. like, oh, he's still struggling to find himself. Um, so it is doable. And I think, again, per what Joni is saying, you know, maybe cutting some corners, maybe looking at what, you know, future living accommodations might look like, maybe not doing a a crazy blowout wedding and stuff is going to help set you on the right foot to kind of get the information that you need um, in order to make a good decision. So, yeah. Right. And I think also that um, often I've known people who are wanting to launch into med school and have found that working prior to it Mm -hmm. and saving money and beginning to build some financial health there Mm -hmm. uh, can be very good. Not just that you are building that those finances, but also that maybe you're doing some practical work, maybe in the medical field Mm -hmm. that doesn't require a medical license. It just maybe you're just working with doctors or what have you to give you some experience that you can use later on as well. Yeah. Great thoughts. Well, thanks so much, Joni. You're welcome. All right, everyone, we have reached the end of this week's episode. So as I often like to do, I remind you that you can contact us at editor at boundless.org if you have a question that you would like us to answer in the future. Um, And certainly you can find us on social, on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, Hit us up there. Give us your ideas for the show, maybe heading into this new year. Uh, Or just reach out. Let us know how you're doing, how your new year is progressing. Because, again, we want this to be a conversation. In the meantime, I will see you around next week. This is Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org. Focus on the family.